0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Hi, this is Nathan. This week, we have students here for our week-long discipleship training program. And as such, we decided it would be fun to invite some of the other instructors to teach Daily Thunder throughout this week. Now, before we get into today's Daily Thunder, I just want to freshly remind you that Eric is going through an incredible World War II series where he's taking the history of World War II and giving spiritual principles that come out of it. If you'd like to listen to that World War II series by Eric, you can visit Ellersley.com forward slash daily, and you'll see a link there to see the entire series from World War II. Now, in today's Daily Thunder, we have special guest, Leslie Ludi. So, a lot of people who know Eric and I and we you know our books and kind of grew up with our message think that we have, there, there are misconceptions out there that we have just had this sort of fairy tale life. You know, we wrote these books, When God Writes Your Love Story, When Dreams Come True, and it's like, oh, they just sort of live every day in this blissful fairy tale. And, you know, that's why they can talk about like joy and peace and victory. And actually, there are a lot that's that's a huge misconception because I feel like in the past twenty five years that Eric and I have been married, we've spent most of that time in a battle and on a battlefield, in the middle of a a spiritual war. And there are times when I feel like we have gone from just one intense trial to another. It has not been an easy twenty five years, even though our marriage has stayed strong and And a lot of times people wonder, you know, why is your Christianity still going strong after all these years? I remember being invited to speak to a large Christian festival a number of years ago. And they invited Eric to come in because they had heard one of his, like the gospel video or something that was out there on the internet. And they thought, oh, this guy has a lot of passion. Let's bring him in to speak to this Christian festival. And as we were talking to him, he recognized, oh, you guys have actually spoken here Ten years ago, you came and spoke at this festival. He didn't make the connection until we were actually talking to him about coming back. And he was absolutely shocked because he said, I've never, in all of my years of doing this festival, and I think he had been doing it over 30 years, I've never seen any Christian who's still been in ministry ten years later. So if there's a pastor or a speaker that we bring in, usually ten years down the road, they're not even, they're not in ministry, and a lot of times they're not even, you know, walking with the Lord anymore after ten years. And so he was shocked that we were still you know, passionately, boldly proclaiming truth. And it was really an eye-opening moment for me of just realizing how much the enemy wants to take out strong Christians and how much he wants to snuff out that passion. And tomorrow in the session, I'm going to be talking more about spiritual fervor and maintaining that spiritual passion. But I could really identify with what he was talking about because Eric and I had been through so many spiritual attacks since we first stepped into ministry, and so many times we were tempted to give up and to walk away, and so many times our our faith was shaken to the very core. So what is the difference? Why were we still in ministry 10 years later, going strong, still proclaiming the same message? Why have we maintained uh, the same position for the past 25-plus years of being in ministry? And it all boils down to this message that I'm going to be sharing with you today, accepting suffering and trials and difficulties as opportunities to grow closer to Jesus Christ, not to allow those things to push us away from him. And that's where a lot of Christians, that's where it means spiritual life or spiritual death, is how they approach difficult things in their life. We are in a generation, it doesn't actually matter what age, the past multiple generations, really there's so much Uh, renouncement of the faith and walking away from your faith and sort of turning your back on God. And a lot of times, in fact, most of the time, if you see Christians, even well-known Christians who do this, it has to do with, well, God let me down. God allowed this bad thing in my life, and God disappointed me, and God didn't answer my prayer. And, you know, I just feel like now he he failed me, so I'm going to walk away from him. And so, As Eric and I have approached really difficult things in our life, we've recognized this is an opportunity to either grow spiritually stronger or spiritually weaker. And if we choose the path of spiritual weakness in difficulty and in trial and in suffering, the enemy can get in there and start to whisper lies and start to get us to question our entire faith and get us to question God. And so it really starts at that very first moment of decision when something difficult hits you, something unexpected happens, how do you respond? One of the most powerful books that I ever read was Evidence Not Seen by Darlene Daibler. If any of you haven't read it, I would recommend it very highly. She was a missionary, and it was right before the Second World War. She and her husband went to New Guinea, and they had this dream of reaching the unreached tribes. And they were, they were the very first, uh, I think, Westerners to ever hike into the interior of New Guinea and begin to reach these tribes who had never heard the gospel. And it was this really exciting Ministry all these breakthroughs were happening and then the war broke out Second World War and all everyone was called you know off the mission field back to the mainland they had the opportunity to evacuate they chose not to and and they ended up she ended up going through something that if you know probably if you had told her ahead of time this is what you're going to walk through over there she never would have thought she could handle it she was just a young married woman you know in her 20s just out of Bible college and she ended up they ended up being taken prisoner by the Japanese her husband was killed she was put into death row she was tortured she was accused of being an American spy she had diseases the things that she went through is it's almost hard to wrap your mind around and yet I remember the most powerful moment for me in her story she found out you know she had been through months and months and months of suffering and then she found out that her husband had passed away And the immediate response of her soul, even though there was incredible grief, was surrender. Lord, I don't understand, but I trust you. Immediately she surrendered. And then a few months after that, she was put into like a solitary confinement, lockdown, death row, sentenced to die. And it was just excruciatingly difficult after all of the loss that she had suffered. And as soon as she walked into that horrible place, she again, begin to cry out to God and and say, God, why are you taking me through this? And he basically just reassured her that he had a purpose in this. And her response was, Lord, I'm available. Not, Lord, I can't believe you did this to me. Lord, I can't believe you're allowing this to happen. Lord, I'm available. That challenged me so much because I've never been through anything close to what this woman faced. And yet how often have smaller trials, smaller inconveniences, difficulties, sufferings come into my life and, I'm not saying, Lord, I'm available. I'm saying, Lord, why? I don't understand. Why are you doing this? Can you please change the circumstances? Instead of, Lord, I'm available. And yet, because she said, Lord, I'm available, he worked through her life so powerfully in that prison. His presence was so near to her. She influenced the lives of of everyone around her, including some of the Japanese. One of the most uh, horrifically cruel men in that prison camp became a Christian through her example. And then after she was released, the incredible influence that she had, and she, just just an amazing story, but it all started with that decision to say, Lord, I'm available. Is that what we say to God when something difficult or unexpected or some form of suffering comes our way? Lillias Trotter, who was a missionary um, in the early 1900s, she was a missionary to Algeria, very, very difficult place to go. She had, she had left wealth and fame and opportunity to go here and be a missionary, and her life there on the mission field was anything but easy. And she wrote this quote, is probably the best quote I've ever heard or read on the area of how we should respond to suffering and difficulty. She said, take the very hardest thing in your life, the place of difficulty outward or inward, and expect God to triumph gloriously in that very spot. Just there, he can bring your soul into blossom. How many of us do that, where we take the hardest thing? You know, we might think that God can redeem lesser things that we've gone through. It's like, well, that was difficult, but I can see how God might be able to use that. But what about the very hardest thing that we've ever walked through? Are we expecting God to triumph gloriously in that very spot, in that very area of our lives? Like I said, the past 25 years that Eric and I have been married and been in ministry, it sometimes feels like we have gone from one trial to the next, we have not had a fairy tale life. And in fact, I realized this the minute that we stepped into ministry. We did have a beautiful fairy tale esque love story. It was amazing. As we gave God the pen, we said, Lord, you're in charge. It was incredibly beautiful. And yet, the moment that we stepped into Christian ministry, it felt like multiple grenades had gone off in our life. Just everything was difficult all of a sudden. We didn't realize it at the time, but we basically had a bullseye a target on our head, and the enemy was coming after us. He didn't want us to be in Christian ministry, and he was doing everything that he could to get us to be frustrated, give up, and not only walk away from Christian ministry, but there were times when I felt a strong temptation. It's like, why are you even a Christian? God has let you down. You know, that voice that can so easily speak to us, and it was, I remember sitting on this bed one time we were staying in the home of a pastor and I was sitting on the edge of the bed in the guest room and just like dealing with my overwhelming frustration and disappointment and heartache. You know, as we traveled the country and we spoke, I had expected it to be this, you know, wonderful experience and all these wonderful churches and meeting all these wonderful Christians. And it wasn't like that. It was very disheartening. It was very disillusioning. And I had seen so much hypocrisy and just things that I, never thought I would see in the church. And I remember sitting on the edge of the bed in this guest room and whispering to Eric because there were people around in the other rooms and the walls were really thin. I didn't want anyone to hear it. it. was like, if I didn't know Jesus Christ personally, I would be walking away from my faith right now. That is how intense the grief was and the pain and the heartache at that time. We went through all sorts of things, false accusation, um, criticism, being constantly criticized by people. And, you know, as a, as a young... 25-year-old, 24-year-old when some of this was first starting, I didn't know how to handle that at all. I remember being criticized one time by a pastor, you know, just, just completely falsely misrepresented, misunderstood. And I just remember throwing the phone down. He had kind of, you know, given me an earful of all the things that were wrong with me. Throwing the phone down, running into the other room, just laying on the bed and sobbing because I was so upset at how I was being treated. And you know, if the same thing happened to me today, that's not how I would handle it. But back then I had no idea how to handle it. Betrayal from people that we trusted, this was something that we started to go through a lot in the early days of our ministry. Really extreme health challenges, financial challenges, extreme discouragement, spiritual attack on every side. And we, we spent a lot of years being pummeled by this, just being pushed around by enemy attack. And then finally, we began to awaken to a different way to respond to difficulty, really two aspects. And one was to understand when the enemy was attacking us and learn how to take authority over those attacks and be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. But the other way was to, was to approach difficult situations differently, not with a self-pity attitude, not with a why me type of attitude There are really two ways that we can respond to trials when we're hit with them. And this quote from Amy Carmichael says it quite well. Two men looked through prison bars. The one saw mud, the other stars. What is your perspective when you're facing trials of many kinds? The Bible says, think it not strange, count it all joy. And it's all how you look at it. If you're you're in a prison cell, And you look out of those bars, you can look down at the mud and wallow in it, or you can look up at the stars and remember that God has a higher purpose, that God will never leave us or forsake us, that God is a God of redemption. God is a God who turns ashes into beauty when we trust him. You think about the story of Joseph, who was falsely accused, he was betrayed, he was sold into slavery, he was abused, he was thrown into prison on false charges, he was forgotten in his prison cell. And at that moment, he could have easily just said, I've hit rock bottom, God has forgotten me, I'm going to give up on God, and he didn't. And because of that, God, God's redemptive power was able to be seen in Joseph's life. And I think a lot of us stop short of the complete story that God wants to write. We're in that moment, that really dark moment, when all hope seems lost, when we feel like you know, everything has, has gone wrong, and we give up, we despair, we say, God's forgotten me. And we don't allow God to finish the story. We don't allow God to turn those ashes into beauty. We we walk away way too soon. So the first way of approaching suffering is the way most of us tend to approach it in modern Christianity. Experiencing the painful loss to your personal comforts and life expectations while continually asking why and begrudging the loss all the while. When we suffer this way, we end up with a soul filled with doubt and despair and cynicism and denouncement of everything true and godly and we cannot thrive spiritually when that is the state of our inward lives. We have to make up, if we are going to go the distance in Christianity, if we are going to walk that straight and narrow path, if we are going to be among those who endure, uh, we we have to make up our mind right now that this is not how we're going to approach difficult things in our life. We have to make up our mind right now that The second way is how we're going to approach difficulties in our life, receiving life's difficulties as blessings and opportunities to grow stronger and to discover greater richness in life, trusting God is in control no matter what. When we suffer this way, our soul explodes with life. We trust God with an ever-increasing faith, and we gain the amazing blessing of His nearness and grace, and that's how we can thrive spiritually. You know, having joy and peace and victory in the Christian life is not dependent on circumstances. We so often think that it is. You know, if this happens in my life, if this changes in my life, that's when I'll walk in the victory God intends me to have. But if it's not a victory that can be solid, even when we're going through really hard things and disappointments and trials, then it's not the victory that God wants to give us. It's just a humanly contrived, I can get through this type of attitude. The victory that God gives, it's this supernatural grace that enables us to have joy and peace in the face of the most difficult circumstances. And that's why people like Darlene Dibler and Lilius Trotter can thrive in the worst of situations because it's based on a strength and a grace that is not their own. So like I said, God is a God who gives beauty for ashes, but there is a requirement on our part. If, If he is going to redeem the hard things that we've walked through in life, we have to lay those things at his feet and say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you with this. I surrender it to you. I'm not going to wallow in self-pity and question you and ask why and become bitter and allow it to become an excuse to push you away. I know that you will be faithful even through this. It says in Isaiah 61.3, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Have you ever allowed God to take something hard in your life and make it into something beautiful. It's a process. It doesn't just happen overnight where something hard comes into your life and then the next day God's made it beautiful. That maybe has happened to some people, but I know in my own life it's a process. It's a process of surrender and trust and receiving the grace of God to walk through those hard things with a heavenly perspective and not an earthly perspective. One example that I think of, and this is different than the list I told you earlier of all the hard things that we went through over those, however many years, especially those early days in ministry, we still go through very hard things. It's just that we have a different approach. And so the things that we go through now, even though they might be harder than things we went through earlier in our ministry, because our approach is different, they don't, they don't knock us you know off flat out on our face anymore like they used to. We're able to be a lot more resilient because we've learned these spiritual principles of how to apply truth to the trials we're walking through. But one of the examples I think about in my own life was our adoption uh, of Reese and Lily from Haiti. We had already adopted two children previous to their adoption, and both of those first adoptions had been beautiful. They had been so marked by peace. They had been very smooth, relatively smooth. There were a few faith tests along the way, but nothing compared to what we went through when we said yes to these two little babies in Haiti. We, it, had spo- it was supposed to be an easy process. It, we were told, you know, we were approached. We were, we were told, we have these two children. We'd like you to adopt them. And because, you know, this paperwork is already done and this is already in place, it should be less than a year. It should be a very hard, difficult process. Well, the opposite of that was true. No, not, no, not only did it take way longer than a year to get them home, it was a 29 month nightmare, basically. And there was corruption on both sides, on the American side, on the Haitian side. There was extortion. There were threats. There was, uh, it seemed like every week we would hear a piece of really bad news. And we got to the point, I definitely got to the point where I wanted to walk away. I didn't want to continue going down this road because it was so stressful. It was so difficult. It was like this emotional roller coaster ride. And yet that would have meant saying no to these two children that we had already committed our lives to, and just sort of leaving them and hoping that, you know, they would be okay in this really difficult country, in this really difficult situation. We didn't feel the release from God to walk away, but that's what I wanted to do. There were times in that process where it was so bad, it was so extreme, that I would go a week or two, I couldn't really eat or I couldn't really sleep, so I was really making myself sick with the stress of this. And... I was just in agony. I wanted out of the whole situation so bad, but I couldn't get out of it. I felt trapped, and things were just getting worse and worse and worse. And I began to just say, okay, God, I don't know that I can continue going through this. I I need some sort of encouragement from you. And I remember being reminded as I was crying out to God of the words of Psalm one sorry, let me look at my no, so I can see it, Psalm 126, five those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. That was a promise that God gave me in that time when I was in the darkest place in that adoption. And then Psalm 30, 11, you have turned my mourning into dancing. And I remember thinking, okay, this story isn't over yet. God has more he wants to do. This isn't the end of the story. And so many of us, we hit that dark place in our life and we think this is the end of the story. This is how it's all gonna end. This is how it is for the rest of my life. And God says, the story's not over yet. Exactly like Joseph in that prison cell. Seemed like he had hit rock bottom, but God's story for him was not done. So I began to ask God for the grace to trust him and give him my anguish, my confusion, my heartache, and let him turn those things into strength and victory. And trust that he was a God who would take these ashes and make something beautiful out of them. So here is who God is. He promises to give beauty for ashes. He turns our mourning into dancing. He fulfills his purpose for us. That is who our God is, but it is very easy to give up hope before the story is over. So if you're listening to this message today, maybe you've experienced crushing disappointment. Maybe your dreams of happily ever after after have come crashing to the ground. Maybe you've been wounded by someone that you trusted, or maybe you've walked through really intense grief and loss, and the key question... That is so critical to ask if you've gone through things like that. Is this, have you laid those ashes of sorrow at the feet of your Lord, expectantly waiting for him to give you beauty in return? Are you standing firmly upon the promise that God will work all things together for good as you put your hope in him? Or have you allowed bitterness, cynicism, and doubt to cloud your soul? Have you been tempted to pull away from God and blame him for your pain? The way that you answer those questions is a matter of spiritual life or spiritual death. The enemy is a great deceiver, and he can whisper in our ear that we have every right to be angry at God. We have every right to walk away. God has let us down. God is not who he says he is, et cetera. And we have to decide ahead of time. By the grace of God, we will not listen to that voice. So often, the difficult things that we walk through in life are grenades that were planted there by the enemy. The enemy is attacking us. If you are influencing anyone else for the glory of God, or if you are living a truly set-apart Christian life, it's going to impact the world whether you ever open up your mouth or not. If you are embarking on something like Christian marriage, you know the enemy does not like Christian marriage, or victorious Christian living in any regard, the enemy will attack you and try to cause you to give up and to turn your back on God. Throw these grenades into your life and then whisper in your ear, can you believe God did that to you? He is so unjust, he is so unfair, you can't trust him. When in actuality, it's the enemy's attack. And for years, Eric and I didn't understand that. We were being attacked by the enemy and then the enemy was trying to get us to pull away from God as a result, and it was a process for us to begin to realize the authority that we had in Christ, to begin to take a stand against those attacks, and to be, to respond with trust and not despair when difficulties came our way. When John the Baptist was, was in prison, he, he was basically awaiting his execution, and he sent a message to Jesus that said, are you really the Christ, or do we look for someone else? And we don't really know why he asked that question, but it could have been that he was confused by his circumstances. He was, you know, had this thriving ministry, this calling from God, and then suddenly he was thrown into prison at a pretty young age, and he was going to be killed. And Jesus' message back to John said this, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And to be offended in this verse means to trip or to stumble, to become offended or indignant. When disappointment or heartache comes our way, it's all too easy to trip over those difficult circumstances and take up an offense against God. But we need to remember that he is a God who turns ashes into beauty if we don't take that approach. If we say, Lord, I'm not going to be offended in you even though I don't understand. Now, the beauty may not be evident right away, but when we trust him with the ashes of our hurt or our pain or our regret then his redemptive power is already at work in our lives. As it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God makes all things beautiful in his time, in his time, and we need to trust his timing. Lord, you will take this. You will take these broken pieces of my life that I don't know how to put back together, and you will make them beautiful in your time. This is a poem that I heard first from Corey Ten Boom, and maybe some of you have heard it, but it so beautifully captures this principle. It's called The Tapestry Poem. And it talks about the way God works in our lives. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors. He weaves steadily. Oft times he weaves sorrow and I in foolish pride forget, forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares, nothing this truth can dim. he gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. So the reality, I love that poem, and the reality is this, if God, God weaves both the light and the dark threads together to create a beautiful tapestry in our lives, if we will allow him to do that beautiful redemptive work. So when you have something hard in your life, the immediate response is, Lord, you are going to redeem this situation. I don't know when, I don't know how that's up to you, but you will redeem because you are a God of redemption. That's what I've learned to say when difficult things come my way. Not why, God, why, but Lord, you're a God of redemption, and I'm giving you these ashes, and I know in your time you'll make something beautiful of them if I trust you. So I wanted to share with you really quickly, and it's going to have to be really quick (laughs) because we're starting so late, but we'll breeze through these, and hopefully it uh, it will stick with you three things that God has taught me about how to approach difficulty in my life and how to respond the right way and trust him to be a God of redemption. And the first one is to rejoice, which is definitely counterintuitive, and it's not my personality at all. It, my natural personality is not like, oh, roll with the punches. My personality is more like this is the end of the world. And so I have to, I have to really, this is a spiritual discipline for me, to say, God, give me the grace to rejoice in this. And rejoice, as I once heard a missionary say, is faith in action. It's putting your faith into practice. God, I rejoice because this is an opportunity for me to see how powerful you are, how strong you are, and your redemptive power at work in my life. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I rejoice in this opportunity to watch you at work. As it says in James 1:2, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It's sort of like the story which probably all of you have heard about Corey and Betsy Ten Boom, when they were in the Nazi concentration camp in Germany, a horrible place, and one of the worst trials that they faced there was an infestation of fleas in their barracks, and they were challenged to give thanks for the fleas, and Corey, you know, Betsy challenged them, and Corey said, I'm not gonna give thanks for a flea. There's no way God can use this. This is just total misery that we're being eaten by these fleas all day long, and they, just, they decided to do it. They decided to rejoice, and then they began to realize that Those fleas were a huge blessing because the fleas, the barracks were infested with fleas. The guards would never come to those barracks. So they could have, they had smuggled in a Bible, they could have Bible studies, they could sing hymns, they could actually turn that barracks into this sanctuary of worship because of those fleas. God used it, he turned something really hard into a blessing because they rejoiced. The second principle is to seek the right comfort. There's a lot more I could say on rejoicing. One thing I will say before we get into the second one is, Rejoicing is an act of the will. So don't worry about it if you don't feel these warm, fuzzy feelings. It's a decision of the will to say, I'm going to rejoice and trust my God. He's going to prove himself faithful. That doesn't mean you are just feeling these gushy, excited feelings. And I used to struggle with that. Am I really rejoicing? Because I'm still kind of you know, emotionally not up here. But in my soul, as a decision of the will, I'm saying, Lord, I trust you, you will be faithful. And I rejoice in, in this opportunity that's what rejoicing is, and usually the emotions will follow as you make that decision by God's grace. Secondly, seek the right comfort. So when you are walking through hard things, it's really easy to surround yourself with people who are going to shower you with a poor you message, a message that excuses self-pity. Amy Carmichael once said that that kind of, of sympathy weakens instead of strengthens, and it's really tempting to go to those people who will just, oh, poor you and coddle you, and cultivate self-pity in your life, but Jesus says that we're to run to his feet, to cast our cares upon him, to pour out our heart to him, and allow him to be the God of all comfort to us. And he does not give us the kind of comfort that excuses self-pity. You poor thing, this is so hard, this is so difficult. He gives us a strengthening type of comfort, to give, to give us the strength to walk through trials with a victorious attitude. And here's what Amy Carmichael wrote about it. Many of us think of comfort as if it were a gentle kind of soothing and nothing else, but the Oxford Dictionary gives the original meaning as to strengthen. That's what comfort actually means. I have heard one who was, as she thought, comforting another say how hard it is for you. But that sort of talk does not raise up. It pushes down. It is weakening, not strengthening. God's comfort is never weakening. He leaves the soul he comforts stronger to fight, braver to suffer, grateful, not sorry for itself, keen to go on, not to yield. God make us all comforters in that strong sense of the word, his fellow comforters. So if you are seeking out comfort, be sure you are going to the God of all comfort. And if you are sharing your struggles with others, make sure you are going to people who will give you that message of godly comfort. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Do not think it strange when you fall into trials of various kinds. Count it all joy. People who will give you those messages, not oh, you poor thing, this is terrible. I don't blame you for completely falling apart. That's not the kind of comfort that God gives us. As Corey Ten Boom says, self-pity is a nasty sin and the devil uses it and always starts his talks with poor Corey." You know, fill in your name there. Poor Leslie, poor you. You know, that's what the enemy does. It seems so loving at the time, but it actually brings us into greater weakness. It's like Peter who was trying to trying to give the right kind of sympathy to Jesus when Jesus said he was going to be killed, he was going to go through all this torture and be um, executed. And, and P- Peter said, no, 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 Lord, that's not going to happen to you. And in some of the earlier translations, he said, pity thyself. And it, it seemed like good comfort. It's like, of course, he's being nice to Jesus. He doesn't want him to go through all that. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. That's not the kind of message that I need right now. You're thinking in an earthly sense. You're not thinking according to heavenly, heavenly reasoning. So go to the right the right sources for comfort. First, it's the, the feet of Jesus, allowing him to be the God of all comfort. Pour out your heart to him. Don't just immediately run to process with someone else or vent on social media or try to find those other sources that will help you process what you're going through. Run to the feet of Jesus because no one can comfort you like he comforts you. No one can give you strength to walk through hard things like he can, and yes, he may use other people, he may use books and resources, but, but sh- be sure that who you're surrounding yourself with are people who will point you to him and his type of comfort, not, wallow, not immerse you in self-pity, and if you cannot find Christians in your life who give you that kind of strength, then don't forget there is an amazing encouragement that can be found in Christian biographies. That's usually where I turn when I feel like I need a friend who is going to point me back to truth and hard things. I go to these amazing Christian biographies and those people who have walked through trials and how they walked through them, they feel like mentors and friends to me because I, I'm watching this triumphant Christianity being led lived out right before me. So Darlene Dibler, Evidence Not Seen and you know, Brother Andrew's God Smuggler and Corey Ten Boom's books and Elizabeth Elliot's books and some of these amazing biographies of men and women who wrestled through so many hard things and came out triumphant. That's usually where I go. And, and there are also some wonderful Christians God's brought into my life that have that same perspective that I can talk with. But if you don't, don't overlook the, the amazing encouragement that can be there in Christian biographies. I've read a few lately that have just show me little glimpses of that type of fortitude, spiritual fortitude, and responding rightly to suffering. I was reading a book recently about men in, in, these, in this country that was very... Um, much immersed in radical Islam, and they were, they were Christians, they were thrown into prison because of their Christianity, they were really beaten and tortured. And the first thing that they said when they saw each other in the middle of prison, they were all led out into this yard and they found each other and saw each other. The first thing they said was, let, let our attitudes be the same as that of Christ Jesus. They didn't say, oh, how are you, are you hurt, are you sick, are you this or that? They said, let us both be strong, let our attitudes be the same as that of Christ Jesus, which was amazing. And then reading a book about Amy Carmichael, who's one of my missionary heroes. Um, she was bedridden for the last 20 years of her life from, because of an injury, and her right-hand helper was also bedridden from sickness. And they had their rooms next to each other, and every day they would call through the walls scriptures to encourage each other and to walk through the trial with triumph and victory. And all of these incredibly strengthening scriptures, that's how they encouraged each other and write letters to each other, write notes to each other. It wasn't a self-pity party up there in those rooms. It was like a amazing picture of triumph, these two women who were in frail health and wasting away. So seek the right comfort and understand that God wants to be the God of all comfort. The enemy's goal is to get you to pull away, but but Jesus is saying, I am the God of all comfort. Come to my feet and you will find what you need at my feet if you cast your cares upon me. And then the third practical is to welcome his presence. It's so important to remember the principle of Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who were crushed in spirit. You know, we oftentimes think when we've gone through something difficult that God is distant, he's far away, we can't reach him. He's just, you know, he's just somewhere else. And yet it says in the word of God that especially when we're brokenhearted, especially, when we're crushed in spirit, that's when he's near. His presence is very real. It's very available to us. And you can just read you know, stories of people in prison cells and they would say, you know, the whole prison cell was like a sanctuary of the presence of God. And that's incredible because you think a prison cell would be when you'd feel the most isolated. But some of these people say, that's when I felt the closest to God. There was a man who was put into solitary confinement for a year over in China and when he got out, he was almost blind because he had been kept in the darkness for so long. And he, the other Christians in his life said, what was it like? How did you survive? And he said it was like a honeymoon with Jesus. He wanted to go back. His face was radiant because he had been in the presence of God for a year. It was just beautiful to read that story. So when we are walking through difficulty, one of the most amazing gifts that is available to us is the tender, sweet presence of our Lord. Instead of pulling away from him, let's welcome his presence, welcome his nearness. And as so many Christians throughout the years have testified, his presence is so rich and sweet that even a prison cell can become a sanctuary. So here is a poem by Annie Flint, who was a woman who was bedridden with a very painful, debilitating disease for most of her life, and she wrote beautiful hymns out of that place of weakness. And this is one that I heard from Darlene Deidler in a testimony and it's spoken to me so many times when I'm, go- when I'm going through hard things and I'm immediately thinking, how am I going to be able to handle this? this is, these are the words that give me strength. This is the principle that I always turn back to. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision, our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting availing, the Father both thee and thy load will it bear. His love has no limits, his grace has no measure, his power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. When I first heard Darlene Dydler speak those words, she had just been reflecting on being in death row, being close to death, uh, being sick, having lost her husband. And she was quoting those words with it, through tears because she remembered how, amazing the grace of God was in that season of her life. How much he gave her the strength that she needed as she cried out to him. Such the opposite of response of what we see around us in our generation today so often where we attack God rather than say, God, your grace is there. Your grace is sufficient for me. Remember that when you look to him, it says in the Psalms, your face will be radiant. It will not be covered with shame. So don't let a season of suffering go to waste. If you are serious about living out your Christianity, it's pretty probable that you are either going through something difficult or you will in the future because you're entering that battlefield and the enemy does not want you to live out triumphant Christianity. And so determine in your heart right now that you will not allow difficulty and suffering to push you away from God, to pull you away from God. You will not waste those seasons because it's an incredible opportunity to know Christ and the fellowship of his suffering, as Paul said. And remember, if you choose to let God be a God of redemption in your life, to take the ashes that you have and just the broken pieces and say, Lord, I know you're going to make something beautiful, something that brings you glory out of this, you will experience the grace and the power of God in your life. And that really is one of the most important keys to Christianity that stands the test of time. So I wish I could share more with you, but let's just finish in prayer. Lord, we just offer our lives to you again afresh today. And we pray, Lord, that everything difficult that we have walked through, you would use to your glory, that you would not allow the enemy to get in there and cause bitterness against you, Lord, but that we would trust you to be a God of redemption in our lives, the God who makes beauty out of ashes, the God who makes all things beautiful in his time. Lord, that we would not become offended in you Lord, that we would trust you no matter what through the dark threads and the light threads in the tapestry of our lives. Lord, we pray that even as those around us are giving into bitterness and questioning you and pulling away from you, we would choose the opposite path by your grace. And Lord, that our lives would be testimonies to you that that victory, that joy, that peace would not just be there in the good times and when circumstances are easy, but also in the difficult times. It would be a constant victory That comes only from your spirit. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would do this work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellersley campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.